you know, a lot of our investors, not I think either of our surprise, but increased their investment into the deal. And it was great because we got to reward their loyalty and, you know, them taking an opportunity in the midst of uncertain times, not just by giving them returns, but also giving them an opportunity to be the first in line to the next deal and to kind of honor that partnership with them. And so that was really cool for me to see. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives, and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from sunny, beautiful, and warm California. Today, I'm very excited to have a guest on the show. And our guest is Vina Jetty from Vive Funds. And Vina, you probably know her if you've been investing with me because she's great. She's been in real estate for a long time and we've been partnering on deals. I think we've done seven or eight or nine deals together. And I want to tell you a little bit about Vina. So as I've mentioned, she is from Vive Funds. She's actually the founder of Vive Funds. She is also a Forbes author and a real estate investor and syndicator. She basically through Vive Funds, she owns and manages over half a billion in real estate and multifamily portfolio. And throughout her career, she managed over a billion dollars in real estate assets. So Vina is not only a real estate investor, but she's a philanthropist. She founded a national nonprofit organization that supports physicians' families through medical training. And she also consults nonprofits on disaster response and business continuity. Vina also has an undergraduate degree in finance from University of Illinois in Chicago. Vina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I love these discussions we get to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to ask a question that I know the answer to, but I want our listeners to know more about you. If you can kind of share your, a little bit about your background and how you ended up buying real estate. Yes, yes. So I come from a real estate family. So I did take a little bit of a shortcut into the field. I grew up in this world. My mom is a successful real estate investor. Both her and my dad retired early from their real estate portfolio. And now they are purely passive investors into our deals. And, you know, you talk about mailbox money, that's like the life they're living in retirement with our investments. So it's been really great for us to be able to provide that for them as they've taken a less active role in real estate. 
And I graduated college when I was 20 years old, got my degree in finance, got the technical skills, but had no real world experience outside of my family's business and went to work in some of the best shops in the world, ultimately left corporate real estate back in 2012 and started investing for ourselves. And fast forward all the way to 2022, and here we are. All right. So, Vina, today we're going to talk about an exit that we've done recently. And that's always a fun topic if you're hitting your returns or you're exceeding them. And it's not about bragging, but really the reason is that we're talking about it is to share with investors kind of what's going on behind the scenes, why we've decided to sell and how the sell went and kind of give investors some tips and share information from what we know about how is it like to sell an asset right now. And before we get into the actual sale, I want to talk a little bit about how we acquired it because when we did, it was about a year and a half ago when COVID, it was three or four months after COVID started, it was about, I think, May or June of 2020 that we were awarded a deal and no one was buying real estate. What were your thoughts back then when we were on the phone discussing, you know, what to do? Because nobody was buying real estate at that point. Yeah, no, I thought maybe I should send help for you because you might have been a little (laughs) bit crazy. I'm so glad that we did it though. Obviously we have done really well on it. And, you know, at that time too, Fannie and Freddie had like paused lending also. So we were like, should we buy this asset? How are we going to do due diligence? Is anyone going to invest? Are we going to be able to get financing? Okay. Let's go and put seven figures of hard money down. That's basically what we did in the middle of COVID. No vaccine on the horizon. Unsure if there was going to be another wave. It was people probably would call us crazy for sure. But we saw an opportunity and the price was right. There was so much meat on the bone because the asset was partially renovated. And even then, the renovation was not that great. The management team, we saw, you know, an opportunity to improve that. And it was a pretty large deal. It was, you know, almost 500 units in the Southwest. It was a great asset. And we took a chance and we took the risk of potentially, you know, if you can't do that, then you're going to lose, you know, your hard money deposit. And when I say hard money deposit, I mean that within three to seven days after signing the agreement with the seller, you put down a deposit. And when you put the deposit down, it's non-refundable, which means that even if you find some things, you may not be able to get the money back and you're taking a risk. And we were we were willing to take the risk when COVID, it was kind of the early days of COVID because we saw the opportunity and we wanted to take advantage of that. So let's talk a little bit about, and we're kind of in the discussion about asset before we move to the strategy where I want to talk about why we exited early, why not hold the asset for five years like we've planned to do but can you talk, you know, a little bit about the returns just in general? So kind of the listeners would understand, you know, what happened in 18 months of holding the asset. Yes, this was actually really exciting for our investors. They're so happy. So we ultimately exited this asset at north of a 1.8x multiplier. So if an investor put in 100k they got 180,000 back. And our five-year projection was at 1.7 and we did 1.8 
in 19 months, which so not only do we beat our projections, but we also beat the timing by less than half the time we plan to hold it, which is huge for investors. Our IRR was ridiculous, above 45%. Our average annualized return was above 50%, which essentially means in two years of whole time, we would have completely doubled their money. And it's rare to find deals like that. But again, going back to, we took on a challenge during uncertain times when a lot of people weren't willing to take on that risk. And we did, we mitigated it very, very significantly at every turn. We put a lot of placeholders to make sure we weren't adding risk and that we were de-risking the asset. And it's totally paid off. Our partners that invested in the deal with us, our LP partners, they obviously were rewarded for their confidence in us to be able to actually own and operate the asset with so much uncertainty. And you know, hindsight being 2020, most of them, including us, are like, man, I wish we had put more money in there. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's interesting how things, you know, turn out, but it's not just about, you know, we saw the opportunity and we worked hard. It was not easy. We worked hard to make sure that investors are, you know, getting paid. I want to kind of shift a little bit and talk about the strategy of exiting early because we did not, when we bought the asset, we did not plan on selling it after less than two years. We thought, okay, we're going to hold it for five years. We even took a loan that was, the term was longer than five years, just in case by the end of five years, it would not be the right time to sell and we would need to hold it for a bit longer. So we always like to take you know, debt that is a bit longer, the term's a bit longer than the actual hold period in, in the business plan. And I can share with the listeners and with our investors that every 12 months we have a discussion and we say, hey, does it make sense to do one of three? Do we refinance, put fresh capital on the property? The equity that we need to build in the asset needs to be significant enough to cover for the prepayment penalty. Because lenders, when you exit normally, you know, if you return the money earlier, you need to pay a fine. Or do we hold it or do we sell it? And this time around, you know, it wasn't even, you know, after one year was a bit too early. And then towards the second year, we got ready to sell because the market was, it was the right timing. Can you talk to me a little bit about why was it the right timing to sell the asset early? Yeah. So to your point, we start these discussions at about 12 months because generally that's the lockout period for the lender. So we couldn't sell it even if we wanted to before that time frame, or it, it's a hassle to try to do it. So for 12 months, we focus on going in and optimizing the asset and operating and executing our business plan. And then after that, we probably talk about it and revisit it every month, really, to see, okay, is this the right month? Okay, if next month's the right month, what do we have to do this month to prepare for it that next month? And so in doing that, we had many, many, many conversations around it. And I think one of the biggest things that we kept coming back to, and I think this is what actually makes our partnership really easy and really nice, is we share the philosophy of LPs first, right? How yeah. does every decision we make from the way we sign documents, the font on our documents, all the way to exiting an asset, like how does that affect our LPs, right? And so one of the things that we wanted to look at was how does this measure up to pro forma expectations over five years? Because there's a scenario which it maybe still made sense to exit a little bit early, even if we were going to not hit the full five-year pro forma, but maybe we hit 80% of it. And it's, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And so what we did was we looked at that. And then when we found out that 
cap rates and the market conditions had improved in our favor so much that not only were we going to meet projections in for the five-year pro forma, we were going to exceed them. It almost became a no-brainer because the risk that we talked about ad nauseum was okay, cap rates are historically low. They've been compressing. They probably can't get much lower. So what happens if we hold it for another year? We optimize the NOI further. We increase the NOI further. And then cap rates expand by a quarter of a point. I mean, that's really extreme, but 10 basis points, let's say, in a year. Then there is a scenario in which our investment and our LP's investment a year from today is worth less, which means we would have to continue holding it for maybe the additional fourth or fifth year. And so anything can happen when you have capital out. Our first goal is always to protect principal and get that principal back to investors as soon as possible. Because once you get that principal back, you're playing with the house's money, right? Like it's de-risked in a lot of ways and it's significant. And so when we ran those scenarios, we spent time researching the market, what our different options were, and understanding what the potential was for this. You know, we had several groups that competed for this asset and ultimately, you know, and hats off to you for negotiating the exit on it, but ultimately we were able to get a phenomenal return for our investors. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to the strategy of exiting early, all of our investors were very happy about exceeding the returns in less than half the time, I had one investor, one, and I'm going to let you guess who that was, that complained and said, but now I need to find another asset to invest in. I thought I've, you know, it's more work for me, but you know him and he's... And you're going to keep him around a little bit longer. Yes, probably. No, I'm kidding. But he was he was just joking. Of course, he was thrilled to get the money to exceed not only the IR, but also the actual, you know, multiple. So it was very close to double their money in less than half the time. And now you have, you got your initial investment back. You got the profits more than what we've projected almost three years, you know, three and a half years earlier. And now you get to take that and reinvest it in other deals and grow your wealth. And that's how you basically create generational wealth when you can recycle the money, get it back with profit, put it back in, and then do it over and over. It's kind of raise and repeat, which is nice. And, you know, part of it is, I think, you know, honestly, it's a combination of hard work and managing people, but also it's the timing in the market. And you kind of have to do both. Not all assets out there are going over 30, 40% IRR. And it's not necessarily going to be like that in the next five, 10 years. So this is a very unique part of the, you know, I would say economic kind of circumstances that we need to take advantage of. Because if something changes, and we're already starting to see a bit of softening in the market, if something changes, that's not going to be where we may not see those historic low, historically low cap rates. We may not be able to, you know, do as well in the next three, four, five years before the cycle. It's it's a cycle. It's going to go back, but it's going to take time. So that's one of the reasons why we, we said, hey, this is the right time to sell. This is the right asset to sell. And we're not selling all of our assets, obviously. But in that case, that it just it made sense. And we made it sweeter for investors because not only did they get these awesome returns in such a short period of time, but 
actually the stars aligned and we were able to offer them a tax advantage 1031 exchange option, which, you know, most of our investors ended up rolling forward their profits because of course they don't want to realize the gains on that. And then, you know, a lot of our investors, not I think either of our surprise, but increased their investment into the deal. And it was great because we got to reward their loyalty and, you know, them taking an opportunity in the midst of uncertain times, not just by giving them returns, but also giving them an opportunity to be the first in line to the next deal and to kind of honor that partnership with them. And so that was really cool for me to see. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Vina, let's move to the last part of our conversation today and talk about the process. And I want to discuss, you know, exiting from a sponsor's point of view, because from a passive investor's point of view, the process is pretty simple. You get to sign a consent or some sort of a letter that says, yes, I want to roll over my money to the next deal, take care of the 1031 exchange or, you know, and we don't have many of those, but we want to take the money out and we're, we know we need to pay capital gains tax. That's very simple from a passive perspective. But from the active part of real estate investing, how does the exit process look like? So we've talked, we've decided that we want to sell. Now what? Wait, Ellie, I thought that that was all we had to do too, was just sign the letter. And, <laughs> and the money's, yeah, magically going to show up in our account. If only. So going back to kind of when we made the decision, right, we decided, first decision point is, do you want to enlist a broker or not? Obviously in this market, it makes sense to have a broker. Good brokers are worth their weight in gold. And yeah. we've been lucky to work with some of the best in the business. So it's been very smooth for us to both buy and exit assets with great brokers. We reached out to our trusted contact and we started the process of sending out, you know, financials, getting everything like our broker's package out to potential buyers. And we did, you know, what's called a best and final round where we allowed everybody to compete against each other and bid the price way up as high as they possibly could. And then we negotiate PSA, which, you know, you handled, you spearheaded all of that and did a great job making sure that we were well protected. And part of that negotiation was making sure we were secured by earnest money and making sure that, that the buyer was a qualified buyer. And then after that, it's really working with lenders, prepping investors, potentially identifying an asset, which in our case, you know, happened to work out that we have an asset available to enter into through a 1031 exchange. And that's like a whole different piece of structuring but it's really getting investors prepped and ready to understand how they're exiting the deal, what that timeline is, providing due diligence materials, allowing the buyer to get everything that they need to complete their acquisition process. And that's really the process that we've been focused on. And that's what we do as general partners, our passive investors, if they didn't open our emails, which a lot of them don't once they start seeing returns from us, they might not have even known we were selling, but for the 1031 option that we needed them to make. Yep, absolutely. And this whole process can take four to six months, if not more, because I mean, it starts with analyzing, you know, what price we need to be at in order to hit investors returns. And then we reach out to the broker, they come in, they visit the property, they give us a BOV, which is basically 
brokers, you know, it's, it's an opinion, an official opinion from the broker that tells you, okay, here's what we know about the property and here's how much we think we can sell it for. There's conservative kind of base and then aggressive pricing. And you get to say, hey, I want to hit this price or I want to hit another price. And that's how you start the process. So the whole marketing process, interviewing buyers, negotiating the purchase and sale agreement, the PSA, all of that takes time. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. I can tell you that, you know, my team, they love, they love working on exits because it's exciting to see a deal that you've purchased, you manage, you improved, and now you're selling it and you see the fruits of your, your labor. And it's really, it's, it's a great, you know, feeling it's again, it's not easy. I don't want to sit here and, you know, portray like this perfect picture. It's hard work. It's very long hours. We're having conversations sometimes, you know, conversations at midnight, 1 a.m. because something happened and we need to take care of it. But this is real estate. And that's the beauty of buying and selling real estate. Can I just say, I like how you're like, oh, the broker gives us like the conservative, the fair and the aggressive value. And then you decide which one. I mean, you and I both know, we always are like, okay, you might as well have not sent us the first two low numbers. We only <laughs> have the aggressive number. And then we want you to be better than the aggressive. So Always. That's true. That's true. Because my philosophy in life is if you're not aiming to get the best, then life is kind of boring. It's more exciting and rewarding to try and get the extraordinary try and get the something that's way above average because average many people can do. Why not excel? Why not go and chase and achieve the highest point that you think you can get there? The worst case, you know, you're going to get, you know, if we think that, let's say that a hundred million is aggressive, 85 is conservative and 90 is base. Why not go for the hundred? Worst thing you can get 95. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's why investors trust us to make those decisions for them. So yeah. And these are not easy decisions to make because you say, hey, if I cannot hit the number, do I want to go for a lower number? Do I want to wait for six more months? There are a lot of questions that we need to answer. And it's all part of the fun process of exiting an asset. Vina, any last, last, you know, words, remarks, advice on exiting deals? Yeah, I think that when you have a win like this, right? And, you know, we've actually exited a lot of deals above pro forma recently. And I think investors start getting used to it. And I'm like, hmm. no, let's reset expectations. We're at a different part of the market cycle now. But, you know, our investors know that we're going to, and even on this, we put out super conservative projections and we knocked out of the park. We're going to try to do that on every asset. That should be the goal of any sponsor that you're investing with is to underpromise and over deliver. And, you know, we certainly hold ourselves to that standard. And I expect any of the sponsors that we invest with as LPs to do the same. So I think just knowing and understanding who your sponsor is and how they think about investors, are they aligned? Do they co-invest with you as an LP? Those are all really important because, you know, between Ellie's family and my family, we're oftentimes the largest investors yeah. into our own deals because yeah. we believe in them. And if we're going to ask you to put your money into them, we're going to put our money where our mouth is too. And like I said, in hindsight, I wish we had put more in, but <laughs> let's just see this on the next one too. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Vina, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to have you, you know, on the show. I, I always enjoy our conversations and that was another great conversation. Yes. No dull moments here. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And on the last episode, we asked 
about, you know, your favorite hobby. And we did the lightning round questions. We're not going to repeat it now, but I just want to ask if, you know, investors, listeners, they're listening to you right now. They want to reach out and talk shop and talk about investing in real estate. Where can they find you? Yes, you can find me on my website, vivefunds.com, B-I-V-E-F-U-N-D-S.com. And then I'm on all the social media as Vina Jetty. So you can find me there as well. And my investor portal is on our website too. All right. Wonderful. Thank you again, Vina. It's been a pleasure. And for you, the listeners, I hope that that was a fun and entertaining discussion like it was for me. If you'd like to speak with my team about investing in multifamily, you know where to find us, blake-capital.com. You can fill out the investor form and we'll get back to you. Until then, guys, be bold, be great, and create your own kind of extraordinary life. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.